مرحبا يا شباب This is Yusra Al-Baghir and the original auntie Habboba Hey guys, it's Yasmin Al-Nur aka Kandaka Chronicles from the Dukan Church Yo, check it out We played the track and the second verse, I remember, was brutal. It was insane. Yeah, it, it was, was insane. so honest and so brutal. And there were things that were said on it that I was like, I don't know if you're going to go back to Sudan with this. And he's like, La, halas. But he felt some type of ways because Matar was his boy and yeah, he, he yeah, had so, yeah, much, yeah. so much anger that he yeah. wanted to put out. And I think that's the beauty about creative people is they put it out yeah. in music or it in was, their product. He, You know, being there when he was recording, it was crazy because obviously I was the only person in the room who understood Arabic, especially the Sudanese Arabic, mm. but I could still feel them twitch and react physically to the things that yeah. I was reacting to emotionally, you know? And it would just just prove to me like the power of music. But also with that whole Colors project, it was like Flipter had the anger. He brought the anger yes. that so many people felt. Raida brought the hope, you know, and Samani brought like just the peaceful... Yeah. element that the the movement had and it was just like the perfect trio for it how did it feel sitting in that room with you guys during the recordings it felt like a moment in time it mm. felt like it was like each of them was speaking on behalf of the community in their own way and through for it to be through music was so apt and so on point for sudan because we're such an oral musical culture we mm -hmm. love music we love poetry we love the fact that a gada in sudan yeah. is people just sitting with their oud and singing and drumming and so i mean i was so uplifted by the whole experience and it was after like two brutal months you know of all imagine. of us like following this but covering it and and it just completely shifted because i was like yeah there's so much horrible things that have happened in the last you know six seven months mm -hmm. but it's also brought the community together in such a beautiful way that i think is going to have so much longevity because we've seen our strength as a community yeah. what we can yeah. endure but also what we can project I yeah. agree. and um, what was amazing about the color show is that all three of them actually grew up outside of sudan Yes. But the fact that they related to Sudan so much and it was just so uplifting for us who grew up in Sudan to see, you know, like yeah. everyone is just all the dots just the started the connecting, diaspora. you know. Yeah, yeah, the diaspora like really showed up, like showed out through this revolution. It did. Like, and, and I completely get that because I grew up out of Sudan and growing up, yeah. here's the thing, there's a difference between growing up outside of Sudan but also growing up outside of Sudan where you're one of the very few in your immediate circle, be it in school, be it your friends, yeah. your neighbors, the society around you, and the challenges that you go through at the time. And so then you have this awkward relationship with where you come from, yeah. right? And how you relate to that. Because then if... And I, I remember I was, used to say this. I went to a school that was dominantly white kids, right? Mm, yeah. And I was jealous of my friends that were in the all-black school. Mm. And I would tell mm. my parents, I want to go to that school. And my mom <laughs> would be like... La and I don't know what these kids do in school and yeah. it was it was one of those schools that was notorious for a lot of trouble but like cool yeah. and hip <laughs> cool and hip yeah. and troublesome you know yeah. which is what we all wanted exactly. to be around right and I'm like but yo but like 
you know, and I would always be like, but mom, your friend, that lady, her son goes to that school. We're yeah. good friends. He's a good guy. I can hang out with him. And she's like, nah. Yeah. You know, okay. And now she's probably the same. Like, I told you and I'm right. This is why you turned out like this, this, this. Yeah, she, yeah she's, she never lets it go, you know. Yeah. I think it's the whole diaspora dilemma, I think, is like, so Yasmin and I, we both split our lives between the two. Mm. Um, I, I did secondary school. That's how Yasmin and I met. We met when we were 10 years old Where? at Unity in Khartoum, Unity okay. High School. Yeah. And then both of us went back for A-levels and university and, yeah. and, and working life. But as, as people who are in the intersection of diaspora and local, yeah. I understand the local struggle. Well, no, to be honest, I can't understand the local struggle because we have the privilege of leaving. Mm. Yeah. But I understand how isolated they feel sometimes, how disconnected they feel from the world, especially with sanctions, especially mm. with how difficult it is to get a visa. Like you feel like it doesn't matter how well you do, you always hit a ceiling. And this yeah. is not, not my experience, but the experience of my friends who've only grown up in Sudan. Mm. And then when you're on the diaspora and you're on the outside, you have deep identity issues. Yep. You're struggling constantly to find your place in the world because you don't feel like you connect with Sudan on a deep level, but you also don't connect with the West on a deep level and you just feel lost. So the, my friends who only grew up in the West are still struggling to consolidate their Sudanese identity. Mm. And what we saw over the last year is that consolidation, like that yeah. affirm affirmation yeah. of like, Definitely. it doesn't matter if you're in and or out, if you're Sudanese, you, we are one, yeah. you know? You get it. Yeah. And you get it and you understand the struggle. But at the same time, that resonated. And you're seeing people who aren't Sudanese, yeah. who weren't even like, have never been to Sudan, you know, understand and, and try and relate. And like with the color show, especially mm -hmm. their team, no, none of them are Sudanese. None of yeah. them have even visited Sudan, yeah. but they, even after the project was done and after they met Flipter and Reda and Samani, the affinity only grew. And and the thing is, is that what we what we went through as a country is is a global struggle. You know, yeah, it's a global is. thing, and it's it's on, there's levels. Yeah. But I know that the people in Brazil probably feel similar, and the people in Yo, Colombia, really. and the people and and honestly, people in the UK feel the same they feel unheard mm -hmm. and they feel like they don't have a say and they feel like politics are in the hand of an elite few and so what we're seeing now is like an overlap between authoritarianism yeah. and liberal democracy yeah. where the average person on the street is like i'm not heard yeah. what i want doesn't matter it's it's you have to be rich and powerful to get your way and that's everywhere yeah. You know, it's not just in African dictatorships and it's not just in America. No, no, no. It's all over the world. I completely yeah. agree. And I loved how other people related because like throughout that, was it nine months, right? We would hold talks and we, uh, and you know, because we do content, we're like, we live stream, yeah. let's mm -hmm. do it. Go mm -hmm. online, let's do this. And sometimes it was just conversations or when, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on her name. Was it Nora? That had the case about yeah justice for Nora, uh, justice yeah, for Nora just, right? yeah, yeah. even then we went and we spoke about that and reem was incredibly vocal and she was like we have to talk yeah. and she was spearheading it reem is half iraqi half filipino by the end of it everybody was convinced reem sudanese yeah. <laughs> like she was she was there you yeah, know yeah. yeah and she loves it she's like yeah i'm uh what is it? she's like uh it's like being um you know, like a, a sibling-in-law. It's the same as just like, yeah, I'm a Sudanese-in-law. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, honorary. Yeah. We have a lot of honorary. Yeah. And, and, and subhanAllah, we have a really, really close friend who's Iraqi, yeah. who's yeah. an honorary Sudanese. Yeah. And it's like, there are these affinities between cultures, like yeah. I think Iraqi, Sudanese people, did, did Syrian and Sudanese. she grew up in Sudan Iraq? No, she, no, she grew, grew up in London. London. Oh, London. Yeah. But she grew up with yeah. Sudanese people, basically. Yeah. Um, 
and there's just these constant overlaps in mm-hmm. our cultures everywhere and, and you find that marginalized cultures mm-hmm. are often yeah. like banding yeah. together now but um yasmin is the pro on this but i mean Nubia mm-hmm. is has been a rallying cry for marginalized people for African Americans for yeah. so long. Yeah. For so long, you know. But in Sudan, we didn't even value it as much as Americans no. do. Yeah. We, yeah. But this is the thing and I think a big there there are many different reasons of why and why not over time and there was normalizations for things that today we stand against, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That you know our parents thought were okay. Like mm-hmm. I remember at the time my mom was convinced straight hair is professional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. Mm-hmm. And only now, you know, she's seeing that, oh no, it's actually not right. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. But like she grew up believing that. Yeah. Um yeah. and now we got to a point where like as we're seeing these changes and these conversations that are happening, you know, we start to acknowledge like, wait a second Yo, we got we got pyramids like yeah. right right yeah. in our backyard, and yeah. we've been yeah. part of this kingdom, and we've got this history, and we've yeah. got and these we ruled and, over Egypt you know, for a hundred years. Yeah. yeah, and it's only coming that realization is only coming to people now. Yeah, and there's I think there's a general awakening now. Yeah, and the narrative has been that's been fed to us over the past, you know, like since since colonial mm-hmm. times, you know. Um, I think that it's just now we're trying to wake up, and we're trying to get you know like connect to our history and connect to our heritage which yeah. is why I even like started doing art is because like I I felt like there was no visual kind of iconography or landscape like that I could resonate with you know especially when it comes to like I'm Nubian so to me visually like this thing was kind of wiped out you know with the Aswan Dam in the 60s mm-hmm. what happened was the majority of Egyptian Nubia and the quite a bit of Sudanese Nubia was flooded so essentially this culture was just wiped out mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. people were moved to to newly planned villages you know and they just had no identity wow. you know there was nothing like they had they came from you know they they lived amongst monuments and pyramids and they heard stories of their forefathers they were so connected you know like i have my mom's cousins who who grew up who who lived through that time wow. and they were like i remember my mom would tell me you know don't play next to that thing because you know this um the snake with you know that our ancestor told us about is is going to come and attack you you know what i mean so wow. there's like there was such a connection to the land and there was such a you know Mm. bond you know and that was just shattered and I don't mean it you know like through my work I don't mean to like highlight Nubia as in like it's the most important Mm -hmm. civilization that ever existed but I see this struggle across the world like these how man has come and artificially and forcefully you know kind of just destroyed cultures yeah you and know it's a, and it's post-colonial syndrome yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. to call it that yeah. I, so, so for example with reem um so she because she's half iraqi half filipino yeah. right and now she shares with me all these things where like she's discovering filipino tribal tattoos that were pre-colonialism yeah yeah, yeah. right yeah. yeah um that that marked the different tribes and the warriors yeah. and where different people came from yeah and, the thing is that they went through a Spanish colonialism. They went through a Japanese colonialism. Yeah. So they've had multiple yeah. at a time. And then, Layers. Yeah. Exactly. And now that she's discovering things about her background that she didn't even know. Mm. And I see that starting to happen with a lot of people where they're just going back yeah. and digging yeah. for all that information. Exactly. Yeah. And um, now's the time. You yeah. know, like I, I'm, so, I'm so happy to see that that's happening all art? over the world. And what's your art? What do you do? Um, I mainly work through, like, I'm an architect by trade, mm-hmm. but um, I started, you know, like, exploring collaging throughout university. So I kind of, yeah, after graduating, I felt like I needed to find, an, a, you know, a creative outlet. So, and I, I'm so, you know, infatuated by our culture and identity and, um, you know, how 
again, we, we're not visually represented. It's It's been, I feel like over time, since like colonial times, our culture has been shattered in mm-hmm. a way. You know, like we don't have any visual cues. We don't have any, you know, like even music wise and like just the art, you know, our art has been really like um, diluted, I think, over time. So I felt like, you know, by reclaiming these things and exploring it and bringing it back from, you know, from history and putting it into the present and connecting with it, I think it'll, you know, it'll just only help us on, in our future. Yes, mean is being very humble. I figured. She, I was waiting for you to jump Yeah, in. I was letting her finish. I'm going to let you finish. Yeah. But Yasmin created a visual language, you know, and this was pre-revolution. Uh, how long has it been now? Maybe a couple yeah. of years? Yeah, I think like a year and a half now. A year and a half. Yeah. She mm-hmm. came out with Kandaka Chronicles at Kandaka.chronicles. And she used, oh my God, there was one, I actually printed them out and I have them in, in the wall in my room in London. You know, the, the Japanese wave, you know, the mm-hmm. wave with a Nubian man standing in front of a Nubian monument. Oh, wow. And it was like the mix of you know, iconography that we see from another culture and, and and unifying that with Nubia and how it's been, you know, drowned. And then that has only developed into like, she does a lot of like Kandaka iconography and like female empowerment. She has this one that came out during the Justice for an Order campaign and it was a Sudanese um, bride and on the side it says Hegugiwen, Hegugiwen all across and with a lot of Nubian symbols and stuff. Like her work is amazing. Check her out on Instagram. Mm, thank you. But but <laughs> what what that did was it preempted this resurgence of Kandaka iconography that we saw mm-hmm. during the revolution. And it all feeds into consciousness and it all feeds into culture, you know? Yeah. Creating that visual language at a time where the diaspora was grasping for those things. And even Sudanese. And, you, know, you know, we were all like, just, you know, everyone yeah. lost. We were just lost. Mm-hmm. But, you know. but it's like, we, you know, each of us have a role in terms of that resurgence. Yeah. Each of us play a role in terms of reclaiming the narrative, whether you're a doctor or, or, or an artist or a journalist or a writer or a producer, everyone has a role to play because, you know, it's not a conspiracy theory. Mm. Our culture was intentionally erased. Yeah. You know, I studied anthropology at university, social anthropology. The early colonizers of Africa in studied the culture in order to destroy it. Yeah. Mm. You know, divide and conquer rule is a real thing. Sudan and, you know, North Sudan and South Sudan was intentionally divided. Yeah. And, and we were intentionally yani they play with the power politics where they used us yeah we we, you know they said to us you know these are going to be your slaves and then that legacy of enslavement and oppression continues and we are not empowered by our similarities we're Mm. divided through our differences um so now what we're seeing is is an elevation of consciousness if a is a reunification is is you know solidarity and and that happens through culture through art through media, mm-hmm. through music, through, you know, through medicine, yep. healing, yeah. all the ways in which we're gifted to serve, you know. And as I as I learn more about culture and I engage with culture, I don't think that it's something that we are creating. I think it's something that we are uh, resurfacing. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Like archaeologists, you yeah, know. Yeah. We are digging within ourselves where we are connected to our consciousness, which is the collective consciousness and is inherently culture in my opinion yeah and we are digging in and we are finding those nuggets of of the hidden past and we are resurfacing them 
through our artistry, through stories, through music, through all these means of communication that are impactful and emotional. And I don't think that, and, and Yasmin is right, it's an yeah. awakening. It's not one culture. It's not one person. It's yeah. a, when I think of culture visually, I think of an ocean with ripples, pools. Yeah. I don't see it yeah. as linear timelines. No. I see it as an ocean with pools and the ripples, they feed into a bigger thing. You and know? all the ripples feed into each other. Yeah, and yeah. Yasmin and I, I mean, we have all these really deep convos all yeah. the time <laughs> about culture to yeah. the point That's where... That's why we brought her here today. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, um, and, and culture is used for bad, too. Yeah. Constantly yeah. used for bad. What's an I example mean, of that? An example of that is how I think a lot of negative, um, violent, misogynistic messages are fed through hip-hop. When mm -hmm. real hip hop, real hip hop that we grew up listening to is yeah. incredibly conscious. Yeah. You know, Sugar Hill Gang, De La Soul, Cypress Hill, yeah. all these guys, Black Star, obviously, shout out to Black Star. <laughs> um, it's incredibly, you know, it's, it's, it's a community trying to turn their struggle into empowerment, mm. you know? And what the music industry did, and I think that gen generally came from the top and fed down, yeah. was to try and use it to perpetuate mm. violence and per per mm -hmm. perpetuate domestic and think, violence. And it was the only form out of hip hop elements that has been that heavily commoditized. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. you're able to change that narrative and make it seem original. Exactly. When not necessarily Exactly. Is. And I think yeah. like watching something like Rhythm and Flow, to see someone like D Smoke win mm. was so great. Yeah. It was so great to see yeah. that it was so on refreshing. refreshing on a commercial show. Yeah. Someone, you know, who is of the school of Kendrick Lamar, um, you know, that very conscious Cali rap to to win, you know, a commercial show. That gave me hope yeah. for yeah. hip hop, for example. But also even, you know, when we look at advertisements where sex is constantly being commodified and sold, um, we're seeing all these ways in which women are being objectified. And they, they know the power of culture yeah, and yeah. they're using it to make money and they're using it to, again, divide yeah. and destroy. But to your mm -hmm. point earlier, like that somebody that studied it and realized, okay, if we use it this way, yeah. I can spread this message, yeah, right? Yeah. And then there's, it is, it's a very conscious, calculated, and clear-headed decision. Mm. It's not something that you accidentally fall into. That's not the yeah. case, mm. right? And that's something that we, because we're in that industry ourselves, we're in media and we're in marketing and in advertising. We're you see the messages, how they're transmitted. And, you, I mean, I cannot express enough how many times that we push back because, and some people are so naive but because they're not, they're decision makers to unlock a budget for the project, but they're not the decision makers that put together overall work. And mm -hmm. I'm like, yo, this does not fly, you know? Yeah. And the power of the internet, like, I, I, I say this, I was like, yo, Saudi Twitter is like black Twitter on steroids sometimes. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're, they Outrage. Instantly, right? <laughs> but then I'm like, but it's the same way when you're trying to talk to this subculture, or this, yeah. or trying to talk to women. And sometimes we get to a point where like, if, if it doesn't work out, those briefs become frustrating where nobody on the team wants to work on mm -hmm. it because yeah. we have this constant um, sense of freedom in how we do things here and how we work. And this is why, like, we're unemployable. Like, we joke about it, but we always say that but we're unemployable. saying no, saying yeah. no is powerful. <laughs> yeah. And it's a privilege. It is. Yeah. And you being know? able to do that, you know, because we went, like, coming from corporate, that's not up to you. Yeah. Right? But yeah. then once you're out and you're like, wait a second, uh, no. But the corporate machine yeah. is designed yeah. to make you feel like you have to say yes, yes. and exactly. that you can't pay your bills if you mm -hmm. don't. And I mean, I could talk forever about how capitalism is the root of all evil, but I won't. <laughs> yeah. I, I like nice things too. Yeah, we all do. <laughs> yeah. But 
Um, but I think that it could be used, Kavalin could be used well if you know how to play the system. Yeah, right? if you, and, and if yeah. you understand the power of, of messages, but also what the true currency is. Yeah. And again, Yasmin and I have been talking about this new shift of, you know, a content economy where now there's like these influencers and stuff. And we talk about it in a, both a negative way and I think in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and Yasmin Chaiman, you know, I, you know, we see now that people are valued based on their followers and based on their, you know, their, their profile. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite depressing because it is literally like you see a shift in how people treat you before and after they know what your Instagram handle is. Yeah. You know, that's if you've, you've done your job right in terms of building your profile. And it's crazy because it's good and bad because before that was with money. Before, if you didn't have money and you weren't wearing designer brands, no one wanted to talk. That's to how you. people were yeah. valuing yeah. whether or not you were worthy of their time. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I was just reading a Reddit on that. Yeah, oh, and yeah. and yes, and it was yeah. like, oh, okay, you you're wearing you're you're dressed well. You're wearing you look like someone who's worth my time. And now it's happening with your your insta, your social media. Yeah. At least that's your own work. Like yeah. that's that's your own you're thing. It's not your family's money. Yeah, so you're being valued on your content essentially, yeah. but it's still kind of messed up because. Mm-hmm. You should just value me because I exist and I'm yeah. standing in front of it's you. It's like your I'm personal showreel. Yeah, exactly. that, that's, that's what I like to show you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. also I'm, I just by virtue of existing, I deserve your respect. You mm-hmm. know, it's not yeah. because of whatever profile I've built or whatever company. Like I think I when people for. see like blue ticks, that's it. It's like you know, this person is definitely worth <laughs> my time. You know, yeah, and it's crazy. I want to know them. I want to know what they're what they do and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But. And I mean, I, the, I'll tell you, like the moment I got a blue tick, I have to admit, I was like, oh my god. Yeah. And then there was a moment where I was like. Shit. doesn't mean anything like yeah. it literally there's no difference between then and now yeah. um okay this is weird like something that i thought i was aspiring towards is actually doesn't mean anything it's something that instagram created to make us use their platform more yeah. and, and have aspirations uh, in their platform gamification of something that's not real exactly they're creating value so it's like the way that things are moving i guess is positive and negative is that we have power through our own platforms and our own mm-hmm. profiles but yeah. it still perpetuates that idea that we need to earn the right to be on this planet and to be treated with respect which yeah. is false yeah you know treat everyone with respect you know so it, we just like a hate and love relationship with this new but dynamic that's the thing i think that's always the gray area of debate when it comes to that of like they're good, but then mm-hmm. there's... Yeah, the, the internet is great and evil, you know. Yeah. At the same it's time. how you use yeah. it. Exactly, and it's um, it's one of those things where you, I think a big part of it is, is education. Mm-hmm. Understanding yeah. what does that mean, what it does not mean. Mm-hmm. And especially, like, because... Especially the younger guys. Like, I look at my younger siblings and I look at some of our, our team here It's where get really excited about that. I'm like, okay, that's cool, but what if it's... What if it's Instagram for example, is gone tomorrow. Yeah. Anyway, What's your value? Right? Like, Reem now has this thing where she's just constantly offline. Whereas, Akawi, is like a constant heavy consumer. But I realize Akawi is like me where there's a researcher eye to it. Yeah. They're like, yo, yeah. you check this out. What if we do this and develop yeah. this and create yeah. that based on that and then we link it. Yeah. And then his mind goes into this like trajectory of excitement mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. things we can develop based on something that inspired yeah. you mm. that you've seen somewhere yeah. right mm. and that's how i look to reddit like reddit to me is yeah. my favorite because reddit it's is just, great reddit it's just is this great. universe of yeah. imager. A hive mind. i'm an imager person hmm? you know imager no i haven't used imager that. is like reddit but with images oh sweet yeah so you you go through and you look at the con like the comments are always hilarious yeah mm. but it's like original content like memes all this stuff um 
But one thing I think is I, the reason that I always fall back on the fact that it's been positive, mm-hmm. the social media renaissance, not renaissance, it, you know, but like extreme, you know, reliance, the social media economy, let's say, is that we've seen like kids in Sudan yeah. build careers like filmmakers, mm-hmm. you know, photographers, musicians. They, they, they got the credit that they deserve because they had a space to share. Yeah. Yeah. At a, you know, when you're not, you're not able to get a visa, yeah. you're not yeah. able to get a scholarship, you can't leave Sudan, you're constantly being told that you're not worth anything, that you just stay and kind of thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and they have made it into an artistry. They've made their alienation into, yeah. a, like they've added it to their craft and they've strengthened their craft. So yeah. I'm like, Instagram has done so much yeah. for the creators It's given them Sudan. a platform for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it did. I, when we first started the show, I, um, I flew to Sudan for a wedding and I extended my trip just to go and interview Sufyan. Oh, he's oh, amazing. Yeah. Suda Rhythm was amazing. Yo, and I remember when I got there, I, I, t- I messaged him. And the thing is, when I started the show, I started with these two guys who were rappers, hip-hop artists, one of which, uh, Tuflis, was Sudanese and he was worked with Sufyan mm. on so much mm. music. And I was like, I'm going inter- to, I can't, I have to see this guy, I got to see him. Yeah. So we messaged him and Thankfully, at the time for us, Tuflis was working with him on a music project anyway. So he was sending him beats and they're working together. Mm. So when I flew that, like, I want to come, let's hang out. I'll yeah. come to your space and do, do an interview. And he takes me to his house and I find out he's a dentist. Like, yeah, wow. Kuwait. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't <laughs> and, know that. He's a dentist in yeah, Kuwait. Yeah, he's actually a dentist by education and practice. He takes me to his house. And then, they had, you know, those, the, the rooms we have on, on rooftops in Sudan? So he has one of those little rooms hella dusty and dirty right <laughs> because the window is left open or something and he has this tiny little beat making machine i don't think even was an mpc mm. right and this white laptop with an old windows on it that he's been working with and he we're talking about his struggles and trying to make music in sudan but more probably like the kit and the equipment he had yeah. was very difficult to work mm, with yeah definitely. but she like if anything happens to his laptop it's already beat up he's got letters missing but he's like i don't know where to get that fixed mm. like sometimes it's that yeah. simple yet he's producing some of the best music yeah. i've heard yeah you know yeah. and it's because soundcloud and digital platforms help him share his voice Band with the camp. world yeah. Yeah. yeah right and then he gets on a project with spotify flies to toronto and works with the bj chicago kid. yeah yeah so it was amazing you see this transition over time but like if it wasn't for these platforms they would have yeah. not made it and yeah. that's the thing. And I think, look at all these. We always make that joke, like SoundCloud rappers. But really, like, yeah. <laughs> Summer, K. Trinata, SoundCloud, you, you know. Drake. So, you know, all, so many of these amazing artists now that we love and respect, you know, they just put their stuff out for free. Mm-hmm. Because it, I think at the end of the day, like, we, we're made to believe that we have to affiliate ourselves with these brands and we need to work for companies and we need to yeah. be like, you know, Yusra al-Baghir for this media company or this but really and truly you know if you are creating great content whatever it may be you don't need anyone you know because it will resonate it will have its own momentum and it will resonate companies are shifting how they engage and they're basically trying to affiliate with people so you see the shift now is that we think that we need to affiliate with companies but now companies are doing Mm -hmm. it with people because they see the value in 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 content that's generated yeah. by users you know you and just here's, and here's the interesting thing like we see this even here we have so many people that come through our door that are done with corporate they quit 
they're trying to figure out freelancing, where can they work from, how can they do things. They need assistance, they need support, but because they feel like the sudden sense of freedom, like I don't need to assimilate anymore. Yeah. I need to be part of exactly. this. Exactly. And yeah. I can do it for myself. And on the other end, I we got a brief yesterday from a major corporate business here that have asked us to actually be a middle person to help connect them to freelancers and content Creative. creators wow. that they can use in their work and campaigns. Yeah. They so see like, the value. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, yeah, great. But the best part is, they're scared because they don't know how to talk to them. <laughs> yeah, 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 because they're going to come in with like yeah. the charts and yeah. the exactly. stats. And, and, and they're the- like, we want them to do what they're great at. And we always tell them like, okay. And we remind them when they get antsy and they want to change things. I'm like, you remember when you guys sent the brief? You wanted to hire them because you're hiring them because you know what they're good at. Mm. Let them do them. Don't, yeah. Get, yeah. don't interfere. Don't get involved. Yeah. Just let them do it. Otherwise, we'd find somebody else because this person's not right for it. But don't change them. You no, cannot change sure. them, you yeah. know? And that's what I'm loving about it. Like, yeah. there's a sudden sense of like, yo, I got this for myself. I yeah. can make it happen. For sure. Yeah. Like independence and liberation. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it's not always the case that companies are, you know, bad. I mean, Channel 4 mm. News was incredibly supportive and consistently made time for Sudan. On you were the, with them for a while. For too. like nine months during, you know, for during the time of Brexit, for them to make mm. that much time for Sudan News. Yeah was so mm. important. They were one of the first UK, they, um, you know, You know, they to, prioritized it. Yeah, and they, they did. And, I, and it couldn't, honestly, like, I wouldn't, where would I put my stuff if it wasn't for them, you know? Yeah. But it's a, it's a two-way relationship. And I think that that understanding is what created such a great bond. Yeah. And me going freelance now is not because of, I had a bad experience with them. It's because I also want to, to work on creative projects on the side as well. And I'm still going to keep working for them. So there's a balance, you know, yeah. and Yasmin, yeah. you know, as an architect and an artist, we talk a lot about her balance as well. And one of the things that we, we were talking about is I was like, Yasmin, you want to you wanna build the building and fill it with, yeah. your, with your art, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And wow. it's like, that's really, you want to build the house and you want to fill it. You know, you want to have the professional skills to build the infrastructure, to create a, a space and a home, and then be able to fill it with music or content or art, whether it's through your own or through the people yeah. that you know. And that's essentially the balance between, I think, professional and creative. Yeah. 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 And yep. I think now in general, like with all, you know, people embracing freelance more and embracing like, there's kind of like, you don't have to be one thing anymore which is mm-hmm. what I love, you know, like, and I think social media has helped allow people, you know, it's created so many different careers. Influencers didn't exist, mm. you know, like when, like before Instagram. So there's so many careers like unfolding right before our eyes, you know? So I think it's, you know, people don't have to be an architect anymore. They don't have to be just be mm-hmm. a doctor. Like, you know, that there's so many people doing so many amazing things at the same time, which is, you know, so encouraging. Yeah, Yasmin always says, Yanni, to me, she's like, you don't have to be one thing. Yeah, I I don't Um, believe in it anymore. I I grew up, like, you know, believing you have to be one thing. I set my mind to it. You know, I was like, I have to be an architect and that's all I am, you know. But then now I'm like, no, why, why, why not? (laughs) Why not? That's the thing. Like, there's, there's, um, I think I've, I've been following this inspiring woman for some time on Instagram, Dr. Azra. Dr. Azra. Azra. Azra's my hope. You know, I love she, her words. I've heard like yeah. so much about her. So she she does like contemporary henna designs. Yeah. She, apparently she's a chiropractor yeah, she and she has a whole like, you yeah, know, handbag, yeah. you know, like um, leather goods line, mm-hmm. you know. 
that to me is so inspiring. It's <laughs> yeah. like she just yeah. told everyone to like just you do their thing. Even, you can't and, put me in a know? box. Nope. Yeah, and don't be in a Indian box. Canadian. Yeah. She learned, South African. Uh, South African. She learned Emirati. Yeah, Arabic it's amazing. Things. You know, I actually amazing. ran into her yesterday for the first time. All right. And we were just chatting, you know. And this is what I mean by like, it didn't matter who she was at yeah. that. We were just chopping it up. And then she was like, wait. We've, you know, we followed each other recently and we're like, oh my God. <laughs> and it was so, it came as an afterthought and it was like the sweetest bonus yeah. that yeah. We, in, it's, we were inspired by each other and we respected each other's yeah. As, yeah. As craft. Yeah. And But we still bonded initially as, as two humans. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's would be all, the best. What you need. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't that be the, the most beautiful yeah. sweet spot if I we could it. just mm-hmm. connect as humans yeah. and then later and then, on yeah. be like, yeah. oh, that's what you've been doing and yeah. I know you and I respect you. I've yeah. been following you. Yeah. And she's like, this is what I and this I think one of the things I love about the shows when we sit with people like I discover this wealth of knowledge from mm-hmm. people like mm-hmm. there has not been any episode where, that we've recorded yeah. and I didn't learn something new and this is what I love about yeah. doing this mm-hmm. like Azrez by the way was mm-hmm. one of my favorites because I discovered there's this whole universe of zippers mm. that is actually this decision making process of figuring out the right zipper the right size the right brand wow. and there's this one company that For has a monopoly goods. on zippers oh and, wow like no no it's <laughs> It's a universe. There's levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and she got really excited telling us, yeah. her, like educating us on it. I'm like, what is all this? Yeah. But, and it's amazing. And she's just, she loves what she do. Yeah. She speaks about being a chiropractor, chiropractor yeah. in the same energy yeah. and passion as she does about her bags, yeah. as she does about her hen art. And yeah. her hen art started randomly. Yeah. Too. No, like it's it, amazing. It was, just, Yo, it was it's, random. I love that it's, it's so like minimalist. this Bedouin, yeah. like, and contemporary just, at the same time. I it's like it. just, again, it reminds me of what we're trying to do in Sudan where we're trying to like take this traditional mm. stuff and make it relate to, you know, yeah. our time and our, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. what's happening now. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Like, um, when everything was happening in Sudan, I was like, I was trying to understand what was going to be our voice and our contribution and what yeah. can we do about it. And right before it, there was that, um, what do they call it? Uh, four by three, right there by Boiler Room. Mm. There's a mini documentary series mm. that focuses on music. Mm. And they've done a series with the Yalla Khartoum guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, with Larissa Noor and... Um, yeah, Larissa, yeah, Larissa yeah. is She's right. amazing. a champion. She's amazing. Shout out to Larissa. Yeah, for real. Right? Champion. And I remember we were talking... I was talking to her briefly. I've been following her work for a while. And I saw on her Instagram that documentary came out and I watched it and I fell in love with yeah. it. It was just goosebumps watching yeah. these artists practice and perform, work on their music. And I got really excited about it. Mm. And initially I reached out to her. I was like, hey, listen, can you send me the music? I'll have one of our DJs do something with it and it'll be cool we'll release this music mix episode and at the time we were shuffling sound engineers and we had a lot of changes there so it never it never Mm -hmm. happened but then i was like wait a second i got this library but also over the past nine months so much music came out of sudan and other parts of the world of just sudanese people saying their piece and what they had to say and this artistic expression just incredible Mm -hmm. so I got one of the guys from the from Yalla Khartoum to send me a voiceover of sort of their project and what is happening in Sudan and what they're working with. I recorded a voiceover and we just did this music mix of during times like this, this is what creativity looks mm, like and yeah. this is the output of it. And it included like the Yalla Khartoum project mm. in this work. And it was just one of my favorite pieces because I just saw, as we were saying earlier, this diaspora and yeah. Sudanese and Sudan all working together and creating these pieces yeah. Yeah. and yeah. Larissa was just forefront like she's yeah. up yeah. in the front yeah. Yeah. and, and this is as, as, as a, you know <laughs> again like 
you know, we talk a lot about telling our own stories mm -hmm. and um, reclaiming the narrative, yeah. but yeah. I think that we need to also understand that there's a basic level of humanity where Larissa is not any less, you know, capable of, of, of championing our mm -hmm. culture mm -hmm. because she's not Sudanese, you yeah. know, yeah. Of, of Sudanese descent, because I think that that affinity is universal like it's it's it transcends yeah, yeah. it transcends nationality and Larissa is 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 a true champion because she amplifies she's yeah. not speaking on anyone's behalf yeah. she uses yeah. her channels to try and get yeah. the right people exactly. in, on the right platforms right. and that's the difference mm -hmm. because in journalism we see I mean, obviously, the white male journalist has been speaking on behalf of Africans for a very long time, you know, yeah. Yeah. Since, <laughs> since BBC World Service Radio. Yeah. And, and you know, they called us savages and they, you know, and oh, it's very strange that they're showing civilized signs, you know. Yeah. And, and it's like we, we were spoken for and spoken for and spoken. Yeah. And as Muslim women, yeah. they're speaking for us, they're speaking for us, they're speaking for us. And we can, we can completely disapprove of that and be like, that can't happen anymore. We tell our own stories without discrediting the people of other nationalities who mm -hmm. want to help us yeah. tell these stories yeah. and want to amplify our stories and want to contribute to our stories. Because again, it's a humanity thing. It's not a nationality yeah. and thing. And love, yeah. like just pure love. Pure love. Exactly. What she's doing. I, and back yeah. to the colors thing, you know, yeah. these guys, you know, two German guys and their team of, of non-Sudanese, mostly European kids, mm -hmm they had a serious affinity and they wanted to share, not because it was a hype, but because they felt like awareness was necessary, yeah. you know? And it's like, how do we work together with people from different cultures yeah. for, for a single message, which is unity and love and mm. equality? Like, yeah. that's the message, yeah. right? I can't agree more. So, yeah, shout out to Larissa. Yeah. <laughs> for real. Yeah. No, like, Larissa's the real MVP yeah. in her own ways. Yeah. Um, your question. You had a tweet the other day, which I thought was cool. Um, hold on. Something about culture started with black women. So I, yeah, so I use the term born. Born. With born, black women. so culture born so from black women. I know it's plagiarizing women. itself. Yeah, yeah, so, so culture born from black women. Yeah. And it was a moment where, you know, I think it's no secret and it's no, you know, it's not it's not really contested that black women, we are like the bottom of, of, of the of the haystack. Like we, mm -hmm. you know, whether it be in corporate environments, whether it be in different industries, we are constantly like... You know, when people say that women of color have it tough, I think that we're all lumped together and there are levels. So mm. Lean In Organization worked with McKinsey last year to do a proper intense research study in America on how women were being treated in the workplace. And what they did, which was different to other studies, was that they didn't just lump everyone into women of color, but they looked at um, white women, you know, Asian women, Latino mm. women and black women. Black women were miles behind other minority groups, mm. you know, miles behind other minority groups in terms of the, the rate in which they were being promoted, in terms of how they were being treated, in terms of just the general culture around them. Like black women were constantly treated like crap, you know, and we see that even in our own culture, even in black culture, misogynistic lyrics, we see that in terms of, you know, how black women are, are constantly overlooked or they feel like they have to sort of sell sex to be seen, you know? And when I watched Black Star, it kind of came to me because I feel like conscious rap always gives credit to the black woman, you know? Mm, yeah. Mos Def, My Umi says, Umi shine says. your light on the world. Yeah. Tupac, dear, you know, dear yeah. mama. Like, if you are a conscious artist, you understand that you are nothing without your mother, mm. you know? And one of the things I, th I thought of was 
not only okay my, our earliest known ancestor Lucy I don't understand why she's called Lucy yeah in the first place because <laughs> yeah, she's that, Ethiopian an she's an Afar woman mm-hmm. from Ethiopian but never mind um, probably our, short for something I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know maybe but they could have actually went to the Afar tribe and yeah. found it but, anyway. but our earliest known ancestor Lucy an Ethiopian woman humanity as far as we know has come from a black woman. But mm-hmm. because humanity we know has come from Africa, then it is a black woman. Humanity comes from black women. The artists, you know, black culture is the cornerstone, the foundation of culture. Mm-hmm. It's like where, you know, blues and jazz inspired rock and roll, inspired country music. I think that the best art comes from struggle and the African-American struggle is one of the most, you know, haunting struggles of our time and what african-americans did was reclaim the narrative and create incredible artistry Mm -hmm. whether it be poetry music art you know design and mainstream culture has built off that and has fed off that and has made money off that right Mm -hmm. and even when we look at how you know gay culture is actually now one of the sort of cornerstones of mainstream culture gay culture comes from black drag queens in the 80s black drag queens in the 80s look to their mothers into how to be drag queens you know and the whole slay yes Mm -hmm. comes from black women that comes from black women so we are constantly using you know black female culture without giving credit to black women. And that's not to say that amazing black female artists like Nina Simone, like Lauren Hill, like Aretha Franklin, they weren't credited. Of course they were, but they had to be great. Mm. You know, they had to be yeah. undeniably great. And, and my point is that we are constantly overlooking the black woman, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be, you know, in, in, in culture, we're constantly over, but would culture exist without black women? No. And this is why Yasmin's work is important with the Kandakas and the, and the iconography around Nubian queens and how that we saw that with the revolution, you know, yep. with the women on the front line. Say, yeah. And it was like a Kandakat Meregu. We actually... It was so alone, empowering. Yeah. That yeah. line alone, right? Like Al Kandakat yeah. But yeah. we saw, you know, on the ground, when I started covering it in, 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 in mid, to, mid to late December, you know, I, I, I monitored how people were responding to, to Sudanese women on the street. Initially... You know, they were treating them like cheerleaders for the yeah. men, yeah. right? Remember, we were like, "That's." They were a bit on the mm-hmm. side. They were on the side. No, like the women were coming out, but the men were like, "Ah, it's a little Yeah. You know, yeah, 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 cheer for us. Oh, and then okay. the men very quickly were like, "Wait yeah. a second. Yeah. Like these women are not. They're not just there to 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 boost our morale. Like you know, the mm-hmm. the griots like Ashel Falata did in yeah. World War Two, yeah. or you know, it was. They, they were are, running things, they you are know, like it. like in Burri, when they were, the, those, like the protests were so intense in Burri, like they were one of the first, you know, mm-hmm. neighborhoods to really, you know, get out there. I was hearing so many stories, like people would go, they weren't even from Burri, like they'd come from Unduran, yeah. they would come wow. from Nimretnen, they would come from everywhere, they would go to Burri, and it was the women who set up the entire infrastructure for the protests yeah. to happen. Yeah. So for example, as soon as they sprayed tear gas, a woman would lead you into her home and be like, here, here, take the, you know, whatever they, they the, used the, to what, like, the towels yeah, the towels the and the things to like stop you getting, you know, like to stop the symptoms, uh, the effects of the tear gas and they would give you water, they would feed wow. people, you know, so they actually enabled this whole thing to operate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even the protest camp, yeah. they were yeah. feeding they everyone were feeding during everyone. Ramadan. They yeah. were feeding everyone during yeah. Ramadan. And it's like, we, we, you know, we noticed 
early on, even female activists that I was speaking to, like veteran female activists who've been going out since 2009, I was like, are you guys surprised or has this been happening and no one's been noticing? They were like, we were surprised because for us to see 80% female turnout at some of these protests, it was shocking because, especially because obviously the streets in Sudan, you know, increasingly conservative, public order laws that regulate women's dress and behavior. The streets are not safe for a woman. But you know, more women went out and more women were going and encouraging each other. And, you know, the, it's no surprise that the, the photo that made Sudan's revolution yeah. viral was of a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is the iconography yeah. working into it, but also it's like a Symbolism. feedback loop. Yeah. yeah, it's a feedback loop. Yeah. The symbolism drives yeah. the activity, but the activity drives the yeah. symbolism and it continues. <laughs> like at the end of the day, we came from Kandakas. They are our yeah. ancestors. We were actually, you know, at some point women were ruling with the men. You know what I mean? And we, and to me, like through my work, I like to explore like, how did we, how are we so far away from that? You mm. know, what happened? What went wrong? You know what I mean? How was and, that erased? Yeah, how was that erased? Yeah. You know, so I like to try to bring, you know, like people, you know, try to remind and, them of what we once question, were. Did you, did you find certain answers on how certain things were erased or how was it overlooked? You know what? There aren't any like specific, like clear answers, but I think several things have happened to like have led to this. You know, I think one of the things, you know, I think in my opinion is the misinterpretation of Islam Mm -hmm. in the first place. You know what I mean? I think that it's been used as a weapon to, you know, to, Mm -hmm. yeah, to like to keep women, you know, in check, essentially, you know, which is I doubt, like, I don't think that that's. The, the true message, you know, that's one of the things. Another thing is, you know, like the intense Arabization of Sudan, you mm-hmm. know. So like we have been thought and like we've been taught to think that we are Arab and we are nothing else. And if you're not Arab, you're not Sudanese. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah, you're not worth it. So it's like, again, you know, these cultural things that come with this, you know, like, you know, I think in, in general in the Arab world, so, like we have a lot of work to do to get women back to where you know yeah. they once were again so I think it's it's a, a lot of different things and then again it's like indoctrination mm-hmm. uh, yeah indoctrination exactly and, and with Arabization again we've been um, all the indigenous cultures were erased essentially you mm-hmm. know like for example with the Nubians if when they were flooded when, when Nubia was flooded and they had to move to like Khartoum and other places if they spoke in their tradition in their yeah. traditional language they were thought to be mutkhalifin you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They would be like, you You're you guys are ignorant, you're uncivilized. You know what I mean? So yeah. so through these things, you know, only yeah. Arabic is the, the way forward. So through these yeah. things, these we've been and, a, culture has been erased. Yeah. Also yeah. the irony that calling, you know, someone who's speaking in Nubian yeah. dialect uncivilized when it was one of the greatest civilizations yeah. in the world, right. you know? And the, the sad thing, like sometimes, like you see it with grandparents, mm. you know, um, where there's this, I remember... My grandmother got really angry with me because yeah. because I called her African. Mm-hmm. She did not want to hear. She's like, yeah. I knew, how dare you? Yeah. And she yeah. went on this rant, yeah. right? And at a time, I was like, what, 12 probably yeah. to, to get that reaction. But wait yeah. a second. How are you telling me we're not? But then when I look on TV, my lookalike yeah. is a guy with a baseball hat backwards and a pair of Jordans. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. being a comedian or a musician mm-hmm. or an artist or a poet or whatever it is. I'm like, because the Arabs don't look like me. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I remember, I, and I got really angry and I was telling her this. Like, and I'm, I'm trying to articulate it as a 12-year-old back then where I'm like, but wait, no. 
my friends in school don't tell me I'm Arab. They tell yeah. me to Sudanese. Yeah. yeah. And I come here and you're telling me, no, you're Arab. Like, now yeah. I'm confused. Yeah. What yeah. Is yeah. It? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's and a constant struggle. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. So then it was, it was always this battle of like, mm-hmm. no, but wh- wh- which one's right? And then yeah. you don't understand it until way later. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, that's how we got yeah. here. Yeah. Kind of thing. And it's sad, but that's the conditioning that they went yeah, through. Yeah, exactly. You know, and they've gone to believe that this is a better one. Yeah. Like, no, you're not. Yeah. yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and now, like, shout out to you and people like you who are kind of digging back and pulling these pieces yeah, up because that's an important part of the narrative where yeah. at least now I know people like my younger brother is going to yeah. grow up in a world where that information is available. Yeah. 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 There's a visual yeah, language. Yeah. yeah. And we just want to inspire people to like do the same. You mm-hmm. know, like th- there's not one, like Sudan is so culturally diverse. Yeah. You know, if everyone just from every part of Sudan tr- started doing that, you know, started just digging into our past, it just, it will empower us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we'll be like, we'll change the narrative totally. And I think I was, I got fed up of being fed this narrative uh, my whole life, you know, yeah. and I was like, I need to find my answers now, you know, mm-hmm. I need to find my own answers. Yeah. Like that. What are you afraid of? Yeah. In terms of like. Life, you, Yasmin as a person. Um, you know what? I think sometimes I, I fear failure. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of my main fears. But I think again, you know, as coming from Sudan I think it's seeing as what you were saying earlier you know with Sofian like we've had to work with such limited resources Mm -hmm. to make things happen you know and some people have managed to succeed and I think in terms of being on the you know like being able to kind of compete or like you know just just succeed on at a global level you know I think now that it seems more possible mm-hmm. for us, you know. And for the longest time, I felt like Sudan was on the kind of back burner, you know, yeah. with sanctions. We were like, we weren't connected to the world. We, you know, we were very isolated. And I think that, you know, for a long time, I feared that I would, you know, how how can we make it? How can we put Sudan on the map? How can we, you know, embrace things, mm-hmm. you know, all, all yeah. things Sudanese? So, I, yeah. So, I, but I think now that's changing. That's really yep. changing a lot. What about you, sir? What are you afraid of? I'm afraid that we'll forget who we are. Mm. Um, and I think that that, we were very, that was very close to happening, but I think that we are out of the danger zone now. And I just hope that we don't go back to that and we continue to find the cues that are around us to return to who we are and, and also continue building our community um, internationally. You know, and it's not just the Sudanese community, a community of like-minded people mm-hmm. who want to continue to use culture for good and for unity and for love. I like that. Yo, that's a yeah. great note to end this on. Like, <laughs> I have so much. Thanks so for having us. Yeah, thank you. Amazing. Thank you, guys. Salam. <laughs>